The Inside Story Year in Review starts right now. Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, December 31st, 2017, last day of the year. Can you believe it? This is Inside Story, and let us meet our revelers <laughs> of this morning. George Burrell, nonprofit executive, looking very handsome this Thank morning. You. Good morning, man. Thank you, George. Ed Jerzanski, very dapper foreign policy analyst. Hello, Ed. The always beautiful Donna Gentile O'Donnell, nonprofit executive and author. Good morning. Good morning, Donna. And the country gent himself from Chester County, <laughs> Val DiGiorgio, GOP state official. Good morning, Val. I don't get an adjective. They get handsome, and the rest I don't get an adjective. Country gent is pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. All right, so we're going to talk about all the top political local stories of the year, and this is what we came up with. Number one. The election of Larry Krasner as Philadelphia District Attorney. The longtime civil rights lawyer torpedoed six other candidates in the Democratic primary and then a Republican career prosecutor in the general to win the highest law enforcement post in Philadelphia. This despite his very liberal views on policing, crime, punishment, and his own lack of experience in prosecution, though $1.45 million from George Soros definitely helped his case. Crystal ball here, George. Will people in the future see Krasner's election as a shift or as a blip? No, I, I think it is consistent with people's uh, commitment to change in the public process. You see voters all the time voting for change. I think Larry Krasner identified himself as the candidate for change on an issue that's very, on a number of issues that are very important to people, those, i.e., people sitting in jail with bails that they can't pay but haven't been convicted of any crimes. And I think that in minority communities, where he is talking about the prosecutorial process being and, and the criminal justice process being about reform and not just punishment. You know, about 15 or 20 years ago, it became just about punishment, not about reform. And I think that, there, that to the extent that he provides real leadership, I think that he can be an example that people follow. Shift or blip? What do you think, guys? Well, it's a shift. It's not a blip. Um, in, you know, in other cities where they've elected very progressive district attorneys who don't necessarily cooperate with police, we've seen an increase in crime, an increase in murders. Uh, we hope that's not the case in Philadelphia. We've said our murder rates are already going through the roof here in Philly this year. Um, the problem is we're going to have the, it seems like we're going to have the criminal defense, social justice uh, uh, type of uh, advocate on both sides now of the of the room, in the courtroom, and that's, that's a problem. We need a DA who who the police know that when they go out and arrest someone, the DA is going to have their back, and I don't think police think they have that now, and that's a problem. Donna, what do you think? I think, there's, I think there are going to be a lot of questions that uh, present themselves over the term of his, uh, of his uh, can not candidacy, his tenure as, as DA. I think it's important to remember, though, that as we were coming to the close of the Obama administration, we started to see a, a remarkable phenomena among Republicans and Democrats. The Koch brothers and other unlikely folks talked about the incarceration rate in the United States being way past what it ought to be for a civilized society. So um, I, I think there is, I think this in part plays into that phenomena, which is that there's an acknowledgement that we lock up way too many people for way too little crime. Ed. I'm not talking about murder, I'm talking about the other The lesser crimes. Yes. So this dichotomy between blip or, or trend uh, is going to be determined based on what Val said in terms of police bringing people in, not for minor crimes, but for serious ones. And we'll see how the Krasner administration deals with that. 
that I think will will play out in terms of quality of life and, and uh, four years is enough of a timeline to see whether people wanted to continue down a certain road or whether they want to make an adjustment. Mm. Issue yeah, two. And, and, it, and, you know, it's interesting. We had this discussion when Ed Rendell was elected district attorney. He was a reformer. And people were questioning whether he was going to be tough on crime and be a reformer at the same time. And I think Ed Rendell proved that you can do both. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Krasner's got, got to demonstrate yeah, that. Yeah, but Ed had a much different profile than Krasner. No, no, right? no, he didn't. Remember, when Ed got elected district attorney, he was nobody. He yeah, beat, but he had he beat well, him in well, good police 75 times. Right, right. We don't know what he would have done if the world had been the way it is today 35 years ago. We, you can't compare the two. He was then considered to be a reformer that everybody was concerned about. Issue two here, let's move along. Another black eye, unfortunately, of a year for Philadelphia politics. We had two, this is what has happened, what we've learned. Two Democrats, former Congressman Chakavita and former District Attorney Seth Williams were sent to jail for corruption. We have also learned the FBI had been wiretapping labor leader John Doherty, City Council President uh, Bobby Heenan. There you see Seth Williams there. Two aides for Congressman Bob Brady have been charged with crimes over the past year. Up in Allentown, voters re-elected Mayor Ed Pulowski, even though he is under federal indictment. Let me go to you on this, Val. Uh, when will Philadelphia in particular shake its reputation as a place for corrupt politicians? This past year has not helped that case. Well, we've been asking that question now for about 30 or 40 years. I remember, you know, in the 70s, I, I watched as our councilman went to jail, a congressman went to jail in Abscan, another councilman, a state senator, another state senator, a candidate, co-conspirator, you could go on and on. And I remember when I started to get politically active, I asked my father, why do we keep voting for these folks? The crime gets worse, schools get worse, uh, the neighborhood the work ethic is going down the tubes, and uh, we keep voting for the same people over and over again, and they're going to jail. And that was in the 70s. We saw another round of that in the 80s and 90s, and here we are in the, the 2010s, and it's still going on. And I think the people of Philadelphia need to stand up and say, why do we keep, if, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You know, one party corrupt, one party rule in Philadelphia has led us to the, the largest, poorest city in the United States, where our elected officials keep betraying us and going to jail. It's got to stop. Well, a couple things. I would draw a line of demarcation between people that have had questions raised about their uh, political circumstances and their actions, and people that have actually been convicted. So, so let me start with that. Uh, that uh, definition um, on the on the conviction side. I mean, it's it's tragic. I mean, I was prob- I was more heartbroken, I think, than most to watch the demise of Seth Williams, who I admired greatly. And so, uh, to to play off something that you just said, Val. Yes, it's true that it's you know why do we continue to do the same things with respect to electing people that are you know that that end up in these terrible circumstances i don't think any of us could have predicted that that's who seth williams would become um, with respect to some of the other investigatory actions um, you know john doherty is not an elected official john leads a union and he's a community leader um, in in friday's newspaper he wrote a very remarkable uh, detailed optimistic about the future op-ed that I, I urge people to read, beginning with what the city did to attract Amazon, and they played a role in that. So, um, so again, I think it's really important to draw a line of distinction between people who have been convicted and have gone to jail. Um, but I would mention one other thing. Uh, Larry Platt, sitting in this chair uh, a number of weeks ago, talked about the criminalization of politics. And one of the things that troubles me mightily is that when there is an issue that has no place else to go except the courts, 
uh, that's where it gets resolved. And, it, and it's a litigious circumstance versus a circumstance in which you weigh something in terms of, is, th is this a black or white circumstance? Is this a situation where someone should actually be charged? Let me get add in on this, and uh, we'll go to George. I think Val's right. If you have, I don't care which party, but if one party is closing in on seven decades of absolute control over the political situation within your polis, it's not a healthy situation. These things tend to happen. Uh, well, you know, I think everybody's concerned about the single party rule in the city. Nobody's concerned about the fact that there's single party rule in the counties, and it's been that way for a very long time. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't really think the issue is corruption. I think it's just another one of the factors that people believe that politics and politicians are not working in their interest, and it's why people are dropping out of the political process, voting less and less, not just in cities, but in counties and in, in small communities all over, because they're losing confidence and faith in the political process, whether you've been sent to jail or not sent to jail. They're just losing confidence and don't see real leadership in the political arena. Issue three, the Bill Cosby mistrial. You remember that? A jury of seven men and five women deadlocked on charges that the Philadelphia entertainer sexually assaulted a former Temple employee 13 years ago. The victim, Andrea Constan, testified during the trial. The trial lasted a week, while the buildup of the trial lasted many, many months. Montgomery County District Attorney Kevin Steele vows to try Cosby again. That retrial is set to maybe start sometime in the spring of 2018. Uh, Ed Steele obviously does not regret his decision to try Cosby in the first place. Will he end up regretting retrying him? Matt, this is so difficult because the further away you get from the time in which the bad conduct occurred or the criminal conduct occurred, the more difficult it is to get that conviction. And look, you need 12 to come in and say yes. And it appears as if in the last case, two people had some doubt, and I don't know that time is going to fix that. So I, uh, uh, from a political standpoint, retrying it, the DA is not going to suffer for that. But whether he gets conviction, I think it's a, it's a different matter. It's an issue of taxpayers as well. It's very costly. The security was immense around the Montgomery County Courthouse. Yeah, and I think, um, I, I think this will bleed a little bit into the Me Too movement. Um, because I think one of the things that we're going to see more of now are women that are, have been sexually harassed in the workplace and, and other circumstances in which there is a power dynamic. I think they're going to come forward sooner. Hmm. I think the collab that, that they will have collaborating testimony, if not direct evidence. I think direct evidence is probably pretty hard to come by. But um, with respect to the, the Cosby trial, it's, it's sort of a case in point about why Me Too matters. Because... That situation should have never happened. That should not have festered for years. There shouldn't have been so many people that stood on the sidelines and were un and were afraid to to take that on. And instead, what's happened? What I think will happen going forward, whether or not he brings the prosecution, I think is I, I think that's an open. But question. will the judge allow into evidence the fact that there were other women? who were lining up with similar complaints. He didn't let it happen right. the last the time. Right. It's like the Kate Steinle uh, murder trial, where they could not introduce into evidence the fact that the person who was suspected of the crime 
had seven felony convictions and had entered the country illegally five times. The judge said you can't bring that in. Real, you can't bring that into evidence. Real quick, what do you think, Val, George's chances uh, uh, going I, I, forward I, I, the second time? I think there, it's going to be difficult to convict him a second time, and I think it's unfortunate that they've decided to try him a second time because there is a cause. I think Bill Cosby's behavior is reprehensible. There is no excuse for it. But spending time and energy and effort on a guy who's, what, 80-plus years old uh, is, is when there are other more pressing things that you could be focusing your time and attention on. And I do think a little bit of a celebrity for the for the district attorney. Val, I'm going to wrap this up. I, I tend to agree with George. Um, you know, the real question is, is the judge the next time going to allow more than right. one? They just allowed one woman who had a similar story in, and that's the big question. I think if they allow two or three women, that'll be enough to convict Cosby, but I don't know if we should be going down that road at this point. Issue four, sexual harassment and the Me Too movement, which was just mentioned. Several high-profile male figures in the United States have lost their jobs in disgrace over sexual misconduct claims. Locally, Pennsylvania Governor Wolf asked for the resignation of two local lawmakers, Dalen Leach, Thomas Caltigerone, who both face sexual misconduct accusations. The head of the state's Board of Education, Larry Wittig, resigned over misconduct claims he faces. Donna, your opinion on this. Have we reached the peak of this Me Too movement? Has it gone too far? Does it need to go further still? I don't think we've reached the the peak of this. I think there's going to be more. I think there'll be an ongoing revealing of bad behavior with between men with women that are in a power dynamic of, of some kind, whether it's a boss or someone who has tremendous influence over the outcome of someone's professional circumstance, I think we're going to see more of it. I think we're experiencing a cultural shift, and it's an important cultural shift. The thing, I guess the thing that has troubled me the most is, you know, women of a certain age know what this all looks like, and we've experienced it. I, I've had conversations with a number of male colleagues and friends who, you know, in, in those candid moments will ask those sensitive questions, and they're shocked by the response, which includes, and, and usually my response is, go talk to the women in your family and see what their experiences are. And when they do and they come back, they're like, oh, my God, how did I not know this? And it's like, yeah, we don't, we don't tell you about mm -hmm. that. We just don't tell you. Yeah. So I think there's. I'm sorry, Val. No, no, so I'm I think sorry. there is gonna. I think there is gonna be more of it, and I don't think. Uh, and, and I do think ultimately we will reach a, sort of a cultural equilibrium. But it, but it's not over yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I took it as a teaching moment with my daughter, who's 21 and is about to head into the workforce in about a year. Um, it's it is understandable, but amazing to me as a man that so many women sit on this and not come forward. I hope this will allow a culture where, where women feel that they can come forward with these types of claims. Uh, on the governmental level, kudos to State Representative Warren Camp for introducing a bill that says that state government should not be using state funds to settle these claims. Absolutely. Let them come out into the light of day instead of being swept under the rug. we got to go to break. We'll be right back. By the way, this is ginger ale, <laughs> not champagne. We'll be right back. <laughs> 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Back with Inside Story, raising our glasses of ginger ale to 2018. Getting on more issues here, the top issues of 2017. Issue 5 here, gridlock in Harrisburg persists. Surprise, surprise. 
Democratic Governor Wolf in the Republican-controlled legislature kind of sort of passed a budget, but kind of sort of didn't fund it completely. Complicating matters is Wolf's looming re-election campaign and the growing legion of Republicans looking to face him and replace him in the general election. So real quick, if we can get this, Val, will the relationship between Wolf and the legislature get better or worsen or stay the same? Well... It's assuming you're assuming he's going to get reelected. Well, right? let's so, just talk about 2018. You know, throughout 2018. The no, up to it's there. going to be a tough year. It's the election years usually are. People dig in and they're uh, with their base. So now it won't get any better. Tom Wolf went from being America's most liberal governor uh, when he proposed the largest tax increases in Pennsylvania history, taxing everything from diapers to funeral services and everything in between. I mean, how out of touch do you have to be to to put a tax on daycare, which is what he proposed? George. Uh, you know, I, I think that both sides are going to try to get a budget this year because it's in both of their interests to get a budget this year and not be fighting about budgets in the in the primary cycle and in the general election cycle. I think the Governor Wolf has not done as good a job as he could do getting his record out. I think he has a better record than people give him credit for. And what he understands and what Democrats and Republicans need to at some point understand that the problems that confront Pennsylvania are many of them are structural. We have a structural deficit and we keep pushing it down the road. And the problem in that, at least from my perspective, and there'll be some reaction to it, but the fact is that the governor had a pretty responsible deal with the Senate Republicans last year. It was the Senate House members who could not come to the party and solve the problem. And as long as the Republicans themselves cannot, which is they're having great difficulty up there themselves, kind of creating a, a clear agenda, that's going to continue oh, the problem. I want to jump ahead with Ed and Donna here. Phil Murphy, okay, new governor coming in in New Jersey, Christy uh, going off to retirement or whatever he ends up doing. How do you think Phil Murphy is going to change the state of New Jersey? Well, I, I think, first of all, I think that uh, it's Murphy's going to have a whole series of challenges. I mean, he's he's going to have to clean up the mess in Atlantic City. He's going to have to uh, go back and revisit a whole bunch of things that 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 Christie has done over his tenure. Um, I think he's got a great opportunity to change the dynamic in in the state capitol because Christie is so loathed. I mean, I don't ever remember a governor leaving with such an incredibly low favorability. Um, and Christie's commentary on the way out. I mean, I find it very amusing that he's probably emptying out the state treasury on PSAs on the opioid crisis. Prediction, he's going to be working against the pharmaceutical companies as litigating that, that case. Ed. Um, <clears throat> Murphy's biggest problem is going to be the fact that his state will not be passing along its tax burden to the federal government anymore. Yeah. State and local taxes are going to be capped at $10,000. New Jersey is a very high-tax state when it comes to property taxes, and people are going to start feeling that pinch immediately. He's going to have to deal with the, with the effect of losing that deductibility, and it's going to be tough. Philadelphia Soda Tax, Issue 6. It went into effect on the first day of 2017. It feels like it's been in effect for many years, but it's been a year. The soda industry has been fighting for its repeal ever since. Mayor Kenny branded it as a way to pay for pre-K, uh, which is kind of stalled due to ongoing litigation over this. Revenue fell short of projections towards the middle of the year. Some are drinking healthier liquids, some are not. 
Donna, do you think the taxes could be enough to fund pre-K, which is supposed to be fully in effect by 2020? Do you think the, the tax is going to survive? I think the tax will survive. You made the most important point, Matt, which is that this is hung up with the courts. I mean, the Supreme Court has not decided whether or not they're going to hear this case. If they hear the case and there's a definitive direction, then that will settle the matter in terms of being able to roll it forward. Um, so I, do I think it's go, it's, they will be able to do everything that they've set out to do? One thing that I do know is that they've already built the template for what the rebuild concept is going to be, and that is going to really advance a whole series of things that are that are tied in with uh, with all of these proposals. But the, but the next big hurdle is is the Supreme Court decision. Soda tax, soda tax. It's a beverage tax. It's not just a soda I, tax, yes. and mm -hmm. that's the problem. Not not to be smart, but that is a problem. And I think that the long term effects on the business climate in the city and also what it does to people who run grocery stores is the sort of thing that's going to come back and bite us. Val, George? I, I think I'm, I'm beyond the soda tax. My issue is early childhood education and rebuild our great programs. But the fact is that both of them, early childhood education will, if it's successful, benefit the community 20 years down the road and rebuild, if it's successful, will benefit the community several years down the road when the building boom is taking place in Philadelphia right now and you need participation. Oh. Yeah, I agree with George. I think we should be focused on early childhood education. The tax is in effect. Uh, you know, I, I was against it. I don't feel like fighting about it anymore. Now that it's in there, I wish it would bring in more revenue, but the problem is it's uh, you tax something, you get, you get less of it. The more you tax it, the less you get, and I'm afraid there's not going to be enough there there. All right, I think we got about 30 seconds until we go to break, and we're going to come back. We'll do some resolutions. You guys into that? So will this is a question maybe a yes or no will nick Foles' arm make everyone forget about carson wentz's knee no no no, no. but he can still win he's coaching him from the sidelines which i think is wonderful yeah, I'm, a, I'm an Eagles fan. I, you know, I told my son when we were, it was about eight, he was, why are you so pessimistic about the Eagles all the time? Because I've been doing this for 40 years. So. <laughs> Something always happens. we got to go to the break. We'll be right back. Something always happens. Six ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Inside Story resolutions for 2018. Starting off first, George. My resolution is to continue to work hard and aggressively to try to convince my friends on the Republican side and the Democratic side that that rising tide really doesn't lift all boats. It only lifts the boats of the people who are in a boat. Those who are poor, those who are struggling, or in the water. And the rising tide will drown them if we're not intentional about helping those individuals. Thanks, George. Ed? Uh, this is a bit of a pushback against the coarseness of the culture and the politics. Too much of it is the extremes. I'm going to wind up watching and listening to less opinion-driven political talk, reading more history, and I can't wait for Columbo and Monk to be back on Hallmark <laughs> Channel. So. Thank you, Ed. Donna? So on the, on the personal side, less sugar, more Zumba. Okay. On the political side... Um, I'm going to spend time reflecting on two of my favorite poet philosophers, uh, Wordsworth, uh, who is the author of Happy Warrior. He, and, and I want to go back and reread the, the, the critical attributes of the Happy Warrior because that's who I intend to try to be. But also Rilke, who talks about living the questions. 
I want to live the questions as a happy warrior. Thank you, Donna. Val. You know, my wife and I, my wife Carolina runs Congressor. We spent uh, Christmas Eve with our boys going through the neighborhood handing out toys. We needed two armed, uh, we needed two uh, police officers to go with us in that neighborhood. And um, I was really seeing the looks on those faces and knowing that a lot of these kids are going to be, you know, uh, subject to some terrible things on the streets. It really troubled me. And one of my resolutions is as a Republican Party chairman to talk more about those kids and what we can do to help those neighborhoods. Okay. Thank you, Val. And mine is kind of simple, uh, but maybe not. Look at screens a heck of a lot less. One of mine too. And <laughs> just try to look at the stuff out there because I, I feel like aliens would come down to this planet and they'll see everyone like this and they'll go to the next one. <laughs> we don't want that to happen. Happy New Year, everyone. Raising our glass to 2018.